Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to the Neil Before Pod interview segment. I'm your host, Craig, and I recently had the pleasure of speaking to voice actor Daisy Torme, who recently voiced the AI in Superman and Lois. We talk about what voice matching is, creating characters with the voice, and how work makes her Disneyland tired. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined on Neil Before Pod with Daisy Torme. Hi. Hi. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure to have someone on who's affiliated with one of my favorite current shows, Superman and Lois. We'll definitely get into that. Oh, it's one of my favorite current shows as well for a hundred different reasons, but I'm just, I'm loving it and so happy that it's been already renewed for a second season. So yay, Superman and Lois. Deservedly so, I think. I think the first season has been very strong. Yes, agreed. So let's just go right back to the beginning. How did you get into the wacky world of voice acting and what led you on that journey? What led me on that journey? That's interesting. Well, most voiceover actors will tell you that they are trained actors. And indeed, I'm a trained actor and sang in an opera company for a couple of years. And I sort of fell into voiceovers, to be honest. When I was in college, I went to UCLA out in California. A friend of mine needed a voice for some commercials in a local supermarket chain. So I just went along and did that as a favor and, of course, took to it really easily. I come from a family that's very comfortable with microphones. I have a lot of musicians in my family. So that was really easy and just a bit of fun. And then more seriously, when my father had had a stroke and was not at all well, I sort of didn't want to audition for sitcoms. I certainly didn't want to audition for things that were really serious, heavy material. And my elder brother, Tracy Torme, he created a series you might know, Craig, it's called Sliders. And he said, why aren't you doing voiceovers? Because this would be a good thing to tide you over while you're not really wanting to audition and be funny and hilarious, be it that dad is not well. So he arranged for me to go down and start observing and reading along with. And a lot of what I do is improv. And it was just something that I took to incredibly easily. And so Sliders was a very big part of how I began doing this. And I will forever be grateful for that. And then, as I'm sure a lot of actors tell you, work begets more work. And if you work hard, and if you show up on time, and you have a good attitude, and you enjoy what you're doing, which I very much enjoy what I'm doing, more work might come. And I've been really, really fortunate now over longer than I'd like to admit to you, Craig, many more years than I'd like to admit, but I've been a a lucky gal. I really have. I've worked on a a ton of shows and I can't think of one that hasn't been enjoyable. Something you're alluding to there is it has greater flexibility. Do you find that it's much more flexible to do voiceovers than it might be to to have to turn up to set and appear on camera at a certain time or is it just a different kind of time constraint? It's just a different type of time constraint. That is a better way of putting it because we still have call times and we still have, you know, all of that stuff. Instead of maybe sitting in a makeup chair, I'm either driving to work or somewhere in my house warming up my voice. And that can take a really long time as well. So there's different preparation. It's a different kind of working. As I said, a lot of what I do is improv work. So you kind of have to be on your toes. And I'm a naturally caffeinated person. So that's another reason why I think I just took to it very easily, really like a duck to water. I wouldn't say it's more flexible, 
But what I would say is that obviously your looks are not a constraint. So there might be a wider variety of things that you can do if you're purely working with your voice. And we've all grown up with the wonderful Disney features and things like that. Those are all humans doing the voices of animals who happen to speak. So that's not something that you would necessarily get on a filmed show, but that you can get when you're voicing stuff. There's a freedom in that that I think allows you to perhaps have a little more fun with it, take it a little bit further. It's a great job. What can I say? Yeah. And what you were saying about the looks not being important. I watch a lot of animated stuff. And so you'll see people voicing, say, Batman or Spider-Man or Superman or whoever. Yeah. Then you see the face behind the voice and then you can see, okay, they maybe wouldn't cast them physically as this character, but the voice is perfectly suited. Absolutely. And believe me, I have friends that do voices of little tiny children. And these are grown women. And I have friends that do the voices of monsters and gremlins and, you know, hell creatures and all sorts. And like I say, the flexibility to be able to do that is really satisfying. At the end of the day, you drive home and you just feel like I was completely transported into that world today. You come from a bit of a showbiz family, it could be said. So was it a very kind of creative upbringing, encouraged creativity and all that stuff. Was that what your parents brought you up on? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I am very blessed to come from the family that I come from. One way I've described it is, believe me, at Christmas dinner, there's a lot of no me, you know, <laughs> and wanting to have all of the attention and tell all the best stories. But yes, joking aside, we have always been a very musical family. My father used to teach my brother James and I three-part harmony after dinner at the dinner table and we would just learn a song and sing it like complete music nerds. I embrace my musical nerdiness in a very big way and voices and accents and a lot of make-believe. My grandmother, who I'm sure you are also alluding to, was just the best player of make-believe that I have ever encountered in my life. She was great. And we could believe that her house was anything from a shop to a restaurant, to a pirate ship, to a fairy land, you name it. So there was a lot of imagination and a lot of creativity and a ton of music. Sounds great. Sounds like it would be an entertaining Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's put it this way. It was never boring. Yeah. <laughs> never boring. Yeah, my family aren't all that creative, so we never really got into that sort of stuff. I guess I'm the closest to doing that with launching a podcast and a website that reviews stuff, but my family aren't generally that creative. Hey, listen, it's never too late, buddy. Come yeah. on now. <laughs> I'll tell my never dad. Never too late. Can start doing something creative. Why not? Learn guitar. I don't know. You're not too old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it engages a different part of the brain. So for anybody listening to this that's thinking maybe I should just get a little creative, just do whatever it may be. Even if it's creating something amazing in the kitchen or if it's creating some sort of music or I think yesterday or the day before was International Make Music Day. So everybody should get out there and just hum a tune. Yeah, that's an inspiring piece of advice <laughs> for everybody to take home or just... Continue listening to this and then not do that. Whatever you want to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes, we won't know. We won't be following up on you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna judge you for not doing anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when you create a character or the voice of a character, what is it goes into crafting that? Because as I say, I follow a lot of animated stuff and you tend to see the same names cropping up in different things and they always sound totally different. So what goes into just turning this drawing into a voice? That's a great question. And what I would say is that there's a big difference between just being able to do voices and being able to create characters. And a wonderful casting agent in Los Angeles, Carol Kimball, reinforced that with me many, many years ago, saying voices are great, but characters are what we want. Obviously, the first thing you do is you read it silently to yourself, whatever bit of script you've been sent or whatever bit of description you've been sent. And usually, especially if it's written well, something's going to spark in your mind like, oh, this character reminds me of so-and-so. And it could be someone you know, it could be somebody from a TV show you've seen, but it might remind you of just a little something. And for me, that's kind of the little golden nugget that I will start rolling down the hill, hoping it turns into a great big golden snowball of sort. And what I also do, if I'm auditioning for something, I might do it 10 times, completely differently each time, and then listen to which one I'm buying the most before I send it in and think, well, this one seems to be most like this character. I think we all draw from our own lives, from things that we've been exposed to either in person or as a viewer or as a listener. And then you kind of run with it and take it from there. And I suppose sometimes you will see the artwork for a given thing and then that'll give you some ideas of how you think they should sound. Absolutely. I'm often sent artwork to things, especially like video games or if there's an animated series. Obviously with Superman and Lois, nobody sent me a picture of this strange black box that my voice was going to be coming out of. But they were also very specific with the type of thing they wanted and the type of feeling that they wanted. And listen, Craig, some actors might tell you that they don't love to get direction. I love getting direction because I want to give my director or my producers exactly what they want, because then everybody's happy at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And with video games as well, because on your IMDb page, a lot of them is like additional voices and things. So you voice different Mm -hmm. background non-player characters. So How do you go about that without it all getting repetitive if you're voicing, say, I don't know, 10 characters in different towns in in one game? Yes, and I do that a lot where I'm doing several different voices in a day. Silently, you just make a little note of what you've already done, and then you just mix it up. It's not something that I feel like I consciously do. I haven't really thought about that much, to be honest with you, but it is something that I'm aware of having to do. And it's just part of the gig. So sometimes you'll do a day where you're doing mostly one thing, but then at the end of the day, you're doing something completely different. And that can just sometimes take just a little shift in the brain. That part of it isn't too difficult for me, to be honest with you, Craig. It's something that I really like. It makes me what I like to call Disneyland tired, which is that you're exhausted, but you've had a great day. And that's a big part of fleshing out these worlds as well, just having these different voices everywhere that you can talk to. And they say the same two things every time you talk to them, but at the same time, it's creating a world. And listen, when I say that I might do an audition 10 times, that means that I'll have 10 viable takes. I might end up doing 50 takes to get to those 10 that I really like. 
and then sift through to see which one I find the most believable. And you've done a lot of the Final Fantasy games as well. Yeah. Is it something they keep coming back to with voice actors that they've worked with before because they know that they can attach themselves to the world? I definitely think that that's a part of it. Yes. Final Fantasy is something that always crops up. For instance, when I'm on Twitter, which is where you and I met, I will often get things that say, oh, you were mentioned in something or, hey, did you do Final Fantasy? Whatever number, because there's a few numbers of Final Fantasies that I I've done. But yes, I think that casting directors and directors and producers like working with the same stable of actors quite often because they know what they can get and you already have that rapport and they'll know that it's an actor that knows how to take their direction. So that's been a joy. Doing those was a real kick. And in Final Fantasy X, you spoke Albed, which is a completely made up language that when you're playing the game, you translate it by finding the translations for the subtitles. But what's it like speaking this kind of made up language that sounds like gibberish when you hear it, but obviously it has meaning. You're saying things that have meaning. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose it's like reading any foreign language that you don't speak. The only thing is that with the Final Fantasy stuff, it's a language that you've never even heard. So it might be that one day I have to read some German or I have to read some Japanese or something like that. At least those are languages that I've heard before. And I have a vague understanding of what they should sound like. With a language that's completely made up, you're sort of swimming in dark waters in that way, but you've just got to go for it like you have to go for everything else. I do have a philosophy that in any kind of performing, if you're going to fail fail spectacularly. Don't fail because you didn't go for it. Don't just give it 50% because you're scared. Go for it. And then if any adjustment is needed, you will be told. But always I find that a director and indeed other actors will be grateful. And indeed, I'm grateful when the people that I'm working for just really go for it. When you got the lines for specifically Final Fantasy X, did the translation come with it so you knew what the character was saying, so you could assign meaning to, I guess, your performance. I'm trying to remember those exact sessions. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty convinced that we would have been told, yes, this is the gist of what you're saying. Absolutely. Because you do have to have some inflection and some intent behind what you're doing. Because otherwise you're just speaking nonsense for all anybody knows because you don't know what it means as well. So Exactly. Exactly. That's that's a great insight to get into that. I'm a fan of the Final Fantasy games, or at least I used to be when I had more time. Now they take very long to complete. So Final Fantasy X. You probably know, but some people listening might be amazed at how much work goes into a video game. My God, because if you think about it as a choose-your-own-adventure on steroids, so to speak, there are so many outcomes to every single thing. And Everything has to be covered. So when you walk into a room to do a video game, the amounts of scripts that you see just piled up all over the room is just incredible. Sure, I saw somewhere that the Final Fantasy VII remake script, and that's just the first part, was so many thousand pages because of just all the little bits of dialogue that are everywhere. Exactly. That's what makes them so good, though. Yeah. Again, it's that world. You get sucked into that world. Imagine as an actor Mm -hmm. as well. It must be great to 
be a part of that and get to voice some of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is a fantasy for any actor to be able to do something like that. And when you're looking at it up on a screen in a darkened booth or in a darkened recording studio, you're really transported to that place. And it's cool. When researching this interview, I looked at your website and I looked at your IMDb page and your IMDb page doesn't seem to do you justice in terms of everything you've been in compared to your website lists. You know, those things are never complete. And I'm just so lucky. I think there's a lot of actors that say to themselves, oh, God, I've got to update that page. But fortunately, I'm busy enough that I don't have to do that just yet. But yeah, there's no complete list anywhere except probably somewhere in my computer downstairs that has all of the jobs that I've done. But I would prefer it that way than you saying, oh, you seem to have a lot of credits here, but I couldn't really find anything (laughs) you did. I'd rather it be the other way around. But I think most actors will tell you that those lists are partial lists and they're never completely accurate or complete in the themselves unless you're on top of it every single day, which now that I'm saying this out loud, I need to get back on there and update things. But I know there's a sprinkling there and I know that you get the gist of what I do if you take a look. Well, definitely. And a lot of it will be things that people wouldn't even notice you'd done if they were to watch it as well. Just things in the background and, and all that. Yeah. Because I watch so many animated things, particularly superhero stuff, I'm always interested in the vocal talent just to see who's voicing things and what else they might have voiced. Because I'm one of those people where I'm watching something, I'm like, I recognise that voice. Where have I heard that before? And it's just a little bit of it that you can attach to it. And then once you find out, you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Some are more obvious than others, but some are a bit of a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously a lot of the animated features use great big movie stars for their lead roles. And in fact, I have to say that a couple of years ago, I do remember at the Oscars, Chris Rock talking about getting to voice stuff and saying, this is great. I get to go into a booth. I get to use my own voice. It's the greatest. And then they pay me. And I thought, oh, I just wish that you had said that so many of the actors you're working with are actually putting on voices and doing characters. The thing is that we love Chris Rock so much, or we love Eddie Murphy so much that we want them to sound like themselves because we identify with them. We think of them as our personal friends. Um, But so many of those smaller parts and smaller characters are being done by decades of voiceover acting actors that are doing characters. In the example you just said there, that's about the star voicing the character in this film. Absolutely. Which is a bit odd considering if, if it's aimed at children, they're not going to know who George Clooney is, for example, really. So I have often thought that just because I know so many voice actors that would just blow your socks off with the voices that they can do. But the fact remains that those children that these movies are aimed towards, they're not paying to go to the movies. It's their parents that are paying to go to the movies. And I understand and I'm fans of the Chris Rocks and George Clooney's and Jada Pinkett's of this world. I'm as big a fan as everybody else. So I'm happy to hear those voices that I find familiar and that I love. But I also know the type of talent that is rolling around Hollywood every day and indeed rolling around London every single day. Yeah, and there's always the ones that do a bit of both. Mark Hamill's quite famous for transitioning to voice acting after Star Mm -hmm. Wars. Well, not immediately after, but it's something he became known for and yes, things like that. Keith David's another one. I first came across him in Gargoyles and then I didn't realise he actually did live action stuff until much later. Oh, that's fun. I bet he would get a kick out of knowing that. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> if I ever speak to him, I'll make sure to tell him that that's where I discovered him and then I didn't realize he... I have no <laughs> doubt he will be on this podcast sooner rather than later, buddy. <laughs> I will let your enthusiasm light the way towards that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm putting it out there for you. <laughs> so something certainly caught my eye. You, so you play the mother in Chronicle or the voice of the mother or a voice match. Yes. Of the mother. So how does that work? Because I had no idea. Wow. Nobody's ever asked me about Chronicle. So what happened with Chronicle was the woman who played the mother, who's a wonderful actress from, I believe, South Africa. Her accent was just bleeding through a little bit too much. And so I got an audition for what's called a voice match which is exactly what it sounds like. They send you some dialogue that this actor is doing and you match it as closely as you possibly can. The only difference was that they just didn't want an accent bleeding through. They just wanted a straight, uh, in that case, it was an American accent. I obviously do a ton of British accented stuff, but this was just a straight up American accent to play the mother. And I actually remember that audition because she was breathing in really specific ways. And she had a couple of little stops. And I remember that that was an audition that I re-recorded so many times because I knew that I could get that close. You can hear it. We all know when we listen to a voice, if we can get close to it as voice actors. So I knew from the beginning I could get really close to it. And that was an interesting job. Getting to revoice an entire part in a movie was in a completely different way satisfying from what I usually do. The performance is there. The lines are there. I'm matching what she's doing. It's a concentration that's a little bit different than what I usually do. And so that made that job really fun. I do remember having to have like a coughing fit in the middle of that job because the mother is, I think, dying, if I'm remembering correctly. And I do remember kind of looking at the directors and sort of pointing at myself like, can I stop coughing now? (laughs) Because I was about to pass out. And we all sort of laugh. And it's funny, the little moments from different jobs that you remember. But with that one, I definitely remember the entire process. And I've never seen the movie. I need to watch the movie. Oh, you've never seen it. It's actually very good. I've seen it in the sense that I've seen all the scenes that I've voiced, but that's all I've seen of it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it is really good. I'm a big superhero fan. It's an interesting little subversion of it. But when I was researching this, I just had no idea that this entire voice had been replaced. But let me just say, in total reverence to this actress... It's her performance. I'm just copying her and matching her and getting as close to her voice as humanly possible. But all of the emotion and everything, that all came from her. So I really want to give her a little bit of credit there, or indeed a lot of credit there, all the credit pretty much, because I was just being an American version of what she was already doing. It's almost like a body switch comedy or whatever, where you have to emulate what the other person's doing to become them, I suppose. So. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. When you worked on that, did you work directly with Josh Trank or was it sort of second unit people doing that? I think it was a second unit. I do remember that there were several producers in the room. I just don't remember specifically Craig who was in the room, but I do remember that there were several people in the room because I remember laughing so hard with them at the end of the session. There was probably five people on the stage with me as we were going through. So it's very possible, but 
I wish I could give you a definitive answer on that one, Craig. I just can't. No problem. Does voice matching happen a lot in different things then? Because, I mean, I've heard the term before when I spoke to Ruth Connell. She talked about voice matching with Kelly McDonald when she was Mm -hmm. Merida in Mm -hmm. a video game and things like that. But does it happen a lot in different projects? What I would say to you is that it happens more than you think. And the fact that you're not hearing it means that we are doing our jobs the right way. were some of your biggest voice matching or more celebrated voice matching? Well, Chronicle was probably my most celebrated voice matching in the sense that it was the entire part through the whole movie. But I've voice matched Elizabeth Hurley. I think I voice matched Nicole Kidman a few years ago. Quite near the beginning of my career, I voice matched Winona Ryder in the film Girl Interrupted. I did all of her voice matching for the sort of PG-rated version that was going to be airing on airplanes and things like that before they were showing entire movies on airplanes. Movies would be edited for content. And so we took out all of the swearing and put in really cheap versions of the swear words, (laughs) but you had to match the performance. And that was a really intense day because that is a very intense movie. And there's a lot of being upset and a lot of sort of clenched fists and clenched jaws and indeed clenched stomach muscles. And I do remember coming out of that job and being a little shaken up. And a dear friend of mine, Art Kimbrough, one of the greatest voice actors ever to get behind a microphone, looked at me and he said, Daisy, your body doesn't know the difference. (laughs) And he said, you were in there screaming and being really fraught and upset and stressed, and you're acting it with your whole body, because that's the other thing about voiceovers. We're not just standing there still doing these voices. You're acting with your whole body, your whole face, everything. And he said, give yourself a break. Your body doesn't know the difference. It thinks it's just gone through something. And just telling me that just clicked something over in my brain. And I've always remembered that whenever I've had to do stuff that's a little bit upsetting because every now and then we do have to do upsetting stuff. We have to do a lot of screaming in some shows or a lot of running for your life in some shows, moaning and wailing. There's a lot of moaning and wailing, as Ferris Bueller would say. So that was a really great tip from one of the best that I was very, very thankful for. And any behind the scenes thing you see on any given animated thing, it's usually the voice actors just being very emphatic, famously Robin Williams on Aladdin. If you watch the behind the scenes stuff of him recording the genie, he looks like he must be very tired after doing the performance. Oh, absolutely. And listen, if you're not, you're doing something wrong. But again, that's that Disneyland tired that I told you about, (laughs) that you just feel so satisfied at the end of a day and you've had such a good day, but boy, are you exhausted. Come out of the booth feeling like, I've accomplished something. I've been through something. Yes, yes. And a part like that, also for him, he thought a million miles an hour, didn't he? But to also be able to sing and to be able to do all of his funny ad-libs, that was such a wonderful part for him. And I can pretty much bet that he would have been happy at the end of those days. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because it's a great performance. Oh, yeah. When you record on a given project, I imagine you've done both. So have you done the, you're in a booth with the other actors you might be working with. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you probably do it's on your own as well. So what's it like bouncing off someone that isn't there, reacting to someone's performance that you'll never see until it comes out? Let me put it to you this way, Craig. It's a hell of a lot easier and a lot more fun 
to bounce off of another actor. And of course, if you're there in person and you can look them in the eye, that instant connection is just a bit more solid. I will tell you that because of COVID-19, a lot of us have been just like you. We've been working remotely. And so that has been a little bit different. Even hearing a director and you're standing in your own little booth at home, it's completely different. But I think it's something where we have all dug down to that most sort of primitive part of what we do. So much of it is listening. And you really become, I think, even a better listener because you don't have these people in front of you. In many cases, you might be on the line or on a a Zoom type of thing. We work with a program called Clean Feed a lot, which has been great and which is a British company. So thank you, Clean Feed. Not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, not a sponsor, but I'm grateful for them. My goodness. But a lot of times I might have eight other actors in my ear, plus a couple of producers and maybe a director. So you learn how to just shut the hell up and listen. And it's been an interesting way of working. I definitely prefer being in a studio with a bunch of people that have become friends over the years. I prefer to work that way, of course. But I've been really lucky, and we all have been really lucky, that productions have found a way to keep going. Thank goodness for that. Because otherwise, all of our screens would be dark and we'd be watching reruns all the time. Yeah, or stuff that's just been shelved, they never planned to release. They just have to release it because it's all they've got left. Exactly. I think there has been a massive push towards can we do something animated with this COVID situation? Because Star Trek's already done it with Lower Decks. And mm-hmm. They managed to fast track their second season because it's just easier to make under these circumstances. And I think the X-Files are planning to do something animated as well. So there seems to be this biggest push towards. That would be cool. Is Julian Anderson going to do that? Because her voice is one of my personal favourites. Have you ever voice matched her? I've definitely tried. <laughs> she kind of half whispers everything and I just love it. I love her. I'm a really big fan of her work. So I hope if they do an X-Files animated that they get the original actors in there. And if they don't, I'm happy to try and match her. <laughs> okay, step in. Yeah, why not? Yeah, always. Have you found that there has been increased demand for voiceover work during this period? I don't know if I would say increased demand. There was definitely a slow period where a lot of shows and a lot of productions just shut down for a few weeks while they were trying to figure out how to move forward, to be honest with you. Then as different studios and different sound houses and different production companies figured out how to move forward, then work started ramping up again. And I I must say during the entire pandemic, if I looked at the list of jobs I did in a year of pandemic compared to a year without a pandemic, I think I would have worked a little more in those years without a pandemic. But things have definitely become much, much better. And productions are figuring out how to do this. And if it means putting your entire cast and crew in a bubble for a few weeks, then that's what they're going to do. If it means testing everybody every day, then that's what they'll do. There are certainly a few sound houses in Los Angeles that have figured out a way 
to bring us all in, but put us in different rooms, have us test three days before in the interest of being incredibly safe. Obviously, when you're in a room with somebody doing voiceovers, if we're yelling, if we're screaming, if we're laughing, that's a lot of breath in the room. So they try to keep us away from each other. But slowly but surely, all these different places are figuring out a safe way to do it. And in the meantime, we all have booths at home. So the good news is, is if you have a really professional mic and a professional interface and stuff like that, you can really create very professional level sounding stuff. And that's how we've moved forward. Yeah, so it could be the long term effect of this is more animated stuff crops up. Oh, I hope so. The more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. There's so many platforms now to watch things and there's literally a show and a genre for everybody. And animation can sort of cover all of those genres because you can make animation as dark as you want. You can make it as light and childish and fun as you want. You can stretch with animation in a way that you can't with live action. Yeah, for sure. A prominent voice actor I do watch, she streams video games on Twitch. Nicole Tompkins, who was in Resident Evil 3, she was talking about, and it's something that I do have to ask a voice actor in video games, she was talking about the direction of, give us 10 deaths and things like that, so you have to <laughs> die slightly differently, or yeah. give us 10 injured, or 10 you've fallen on the ground. And Absolutely. Yes. Sometimes I'll get an audition that says, listen, at the end of this audition, could you just give us 30 seconds of fight efforts and then maybe die a couple of times? And then we want to hear you running because in a lot of video games, there's running. That's just a breath thing. But nevertheless, all kinds of weird stuff like that. But again, no two days are the same at the office. <laughs> what can I say, Craig? Every day is a little bit different. That keeps things fresh. And have you ever done any of the motion capture stuff that happens a lot in video games where the voice actor will do the walking and point the guns or whatever. I have auditioned for a ton of motion capture stuff. I have not done it, but I am very eager to put on a leotard and get covered in ping pong balls, <laughs> which is, I think, how they do it, you know, and get in front of a green screen. I think that that would be such a cool, different way to work. And again, just another avenue to explore. I suppose it's almost like doing a play in a way because you're acting everything out, but... Yeah, It's not the end product, or it is the end product, but it'll turn into something else. It is, but it isn't. And I would imagine that you can't wait to see what it looks like in the end. Something that you voiced, and here you are in like a green leotard with all these ping pong balls all over you, and <laughs> not quite knowing how it's going to look, but then getting to see it. That's a hell of a reveal right there. Well, I hope you get to experience that. Oh, me too. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love it. That's like a really weird and fun thing to do. Both those things. Absolutely. Superman and Lois, you voice an AI. Superman and Lois. Yes, I do. This AI doesn't have a name, at least not one that I can remember. Some of the AIs no. in the Out of Earth do have names, but this one doesn't. So, so went into getting that job. I mean, I imagine you just auditioned for it and then... Got it. I like to call her sort of a version of female Hal. I have to thank Westworld in many ways for that job because in the final season of Westworld, I was really fortunate enough to be the voice of the city. 
of Westworld. And that was the entire last season. And a couple of people that I'm lucky enough to work for, Jenny Foley and Kevin Sutherland, they cast me for that job along with the producers of Westworld. And it was the two of them. That was an American voice, though. That was a lot of, uh, if you'd like to turn on the lights, say turn on the lights, that kind of a voice. But they always sort of refer to me as one of their favorite AI voices. So when Superman and Lois came along and the producers said, we would like a British voice for this, they thought, oh, Daisy's does a ton of British stuff because I'm proudly half and half. I am indeed half British. I was brought up here in England. So they sent me the audition lines. And here's a little crazy audition story. They sent me the audition lines on the day of the January 6th insurrection in America. (laughs) So we were all glued to our TV screens. And then I got a text saying, hey, do you think you could just record a few things? So I went into my little booth and did it. And it was completely surreal just because of what was going on in the world that day. But they were kind enough from the show to send me the temp dub that they had done, just showing me where the voice would be on screen when showing Lex Luthor in that first episode, walking up that snowy mountain and saying, this is where your voice is going to be. So I had this voice in my head that again, it's like female Hal, like really calm, really British, kind of formal, a little cold, but definitely out to help this evil master that I have. And I think a couple of the first lines were about him needing a new suit and saying, we'll need more kryptonite, sir. That was the last of your supply. And that (laughs) sort of thing. Very breathy. Hey, very Gillian Anderson, who I love, who I love. And so I was really chuffed to get that gig. I felt so good about the audition. I was so hopeful. And again, because of Jenny and Kevin and having worked with them closely before, they thought I would be up to the task. And I'm really grateful to them that they were thinking in that direction. It's been a joy. Yeah. And your first appearance does end with that shock end credit line as well yes oh and then the the pause captain luthor Ooh, and then you get the chills and it's the end of that episode and you're dying for the next one yeah we're all left wondering well who's this guy what's going on that's right luthor (laughs) or can he exactly not really was there a big cloak of secrecy when you got the job was it you can't tell anybody that you've said this line, in effect. Usually that's sort of an unspoken agreement. I was certainly not going to start posting stuff and telling, hey, guess what I did today, guys? Unless the production had said, listen, you know, we're trying to get as much word out there as possible. But they had not done that. So yes, you do want to keep a little cloak of secrecy over what happens next. Yeah, you hear about all these mad NDAs that They're on, you know, if you breathe a word of this, we'll kill you kind of non-disclosure agreements. That does happen. But I think if you're a pro, that kind of goes without saying. Sometimes we do have to sign NDAs. Sometimes a production will be absolutely crazy and not even send us the picture of what we're doing or anything outside of the exact lines. Sometimes they won't even give you the lines of the other character because they're really paranoid. But most shows, for the most part, get that we're part of this production. I'm part of this production. I don't want to do anything to let it go south. I only want it to do better and better and better. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
mean, I wouldn't spoil anything if I was in anything either. Exactly. I imagine your interaction with the broader production of Superman and Lois was kind of limited, or have you spoken to any of the cast or any of the showrunners or directors or whoever? Well, I have to say Stephen Judge, who's one of the producers, has been really wonderful with me. But unfortunately, because we are in these COVID times, I'm not going into the studios. I'm doing it remotely, which is great. and It's easy and it's flexible. But boy, I would love to be right in there with them. That would be even better. And truly, I'm the cat that has the cream with this job. They interviewed the director, Sud Sutherland, who did, I think, one of the episodes you were in, because he's done one episode of the show, and I'm sure your voice was in that one. He was great to talk to. So that's just me plugging my own work. Hey, and listen to all of these podcasts. But one thing that I can say is that they've been incredibly generous with me that way. But what I do is I record every line 15 or 20 times so that they have a real choice of what they're going to have. That way, we don't have to set up necessarily a session where they're saying, okay, do it again, but this time do it a little more ominously, or this time just make her more human. I just give them a full spectrum of everything. And of course, now having seen a lot of the episodes and seeing what they've chosen that I've given them, that gives me some direction in and of itself. I'll think, oh, this is the take that they used. Okay, note to self. But I try to give them just as much as I possibly can so that they have a really good selection of takes that they can choose from. Do you draw any inspiration from any of the smart devices that we can all buy just now, the series or anything? Absolutely. I did a voice on Code Black a couple of years ago that was another British voice where they said they wanted like a British Siri type voice, but not Siri. And I will tell you, I got my inspiration for that job from the sat nav on Gavin and Stacey, (laughs) which is Probably my all-time favorite show. I've seen the entire series so many times. But Uncle Bryn with his sat-nav and the voice coming out of the sat-nav is where I drew that inspiration. And I got that gig and I was so happy that I was able to do that little voice that for me was a little bit of an homage to a completely different kind of show. What inspired this? It was Gavin and Stacey. No one would ever have predicted that, I would imagine. No one ever would have predicted that. But I do a lot of that type of thing. I've done that sort of AI type voice on all kinds of shows from sliders to extant to just a whole gamut of shows where they need that sort of computery voice. Yeah, there's no shortage of that at the moment. It seems that almost every sci-fi show that has particular elements to it does have someone just talking to an artificial intelligence. Absolutely. The interesting thing is, from when I first started doing voiceovers, computer voices were much more stilted and you'd have things that would stop in the middle of a line. Things would sound a little strange and the rhythm would sound a little strange. Now AIs sound so much more human and they speak in sentences that sound a little bit more human. So you've got to get that really gentle balance of sounding artificial while also really imitating how humans speak. Like Gideon in Legends of Tomorrow, she's very personable in the way that she's portrayed, but still a machine, still an AI. Yes, exactly. So cool. So what projects are coming up next for you that you can talk about? Well, when I head back to Los Angeles, I'm looking forward to doing some voice work on the second season of Bridgerton, which will be great. And I 
good friend of mine plays Queen Charlotte in Bridgerton. So it's been so fun working on Golda Rocheval's show. To me, it's Golda Rocheval's show. And I'll also be working on the second season of a show called Woke. The first season was incredible and written by Marshall Todd. And I work on just lots of different shows as time goes forward. I never know what a week is going to bring. I do know that those two shows are coming up, but then sometimes I will not know on a Monday what I might be working on on a Wednesday. So it does roll around just that quickly. Just we need background voices for this thing. It absolutely can, yeah. I've just been very lucky to work on a show called Debris, which is all about UFO debris and these incredible pieces of what look like metal coming to Earth. And what's cool about a job like that is that they require us to all be scientists. So you have to do a lot of research on the front end of a job like that so that when you come in, you're saying the right stuff. It makes it really kind of cool. I've learned so many things about subjects that I never would have even thought to delve into. Having said that, UFOs are a passion of my older brother, Tracy's. He has a documentary out right now called The Phenomenon. So I was comfortable with all of that. But I like that if I'm working on a court show, I have to have a lot of legal language. Or if I'm working on Chicago Med, I have to have a lot of medical language and so on and so forth. With Bridgerton, it's all Regency England. So that's Again, another way of speaking and and being a little bit more formal, which, again, you know, as I said to you before, no two days at the office are the same. It's interesting to find out they can roll around quickly. Yeah. You must have to be very mercenary with your prep to get that done very, very quickly. Well, you've got to work hard to play hard, I guess. And I don't mind working hard. I never have. It's a joy. I'm so lucky to do what I do. And then I imagine as you build up your experience as well, it's like, okay, it's a medical thing. Got it. I know how to quickly prepare for something like that. Oh, I have a huge notebook full of research. So if it's a medical show, I just grab my medical research. And sometimes a show will come along and I'll think, oh, I don't have anything for that. I'm going to have to look that up and really learn. But that does make it more interesting. I think you'll find that voiceover actors know a little bit about a lot of things. Just so you can say the techno babble confidently. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so that we're doing our job to the standard that is expected of us. So that people like me in the audience don't notice what's going on. That's right. <laughs> I'm glad you don't notice. That's good. <laughs> but I mean, I notice a little bit because I do follow this kind of stuff. So I do try to know a little bit about how it all works. About the process. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly talking to you has been very illuminating about that because, for example, the voice matching thing, I'd heard the term, but I didn't really know what it was or how often it gets deployed in things or how it gets deployed. So that was a real oh, yeah. eye-opener for me. I'll never look at Chronicle in the same way again. <laughs> oh. Well, listen, like I said, that's her performance. That is all her. I was just along for the ride, so to speak. Dubbing in a way, almost. It yeah. sounds like it's kind of like that. It is in many ways, except that with dubbing, you can put a little more of your own performance into it, especially if you're dubbing something that's a foreign language, because also the translation might not be exact, exact, exact. But with voice matching, you really want to let the integrity of the performance stay as pure as it can be. And has to be perfectly timed. So the lip movements are all timed and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yes. There's a lot of looking at numbers. It's definitely a skill. Try that, George Clooney. 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm picking on George Clooney. I love George Clooney. Yeah, so do I. And the only thing I can think of he voiced was Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I kind of thought... That's right. That's right. As a voice actor, you're a good live action actor. That was my thought on his performance <laughs> in that film. I hope he doesn't hear me say that. He certainly does not have a face for voiceovers. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, George Clooney, if you're listening. I don't no. mean to pick on you. I you're love you, George name. Clooney, if you're listening. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and I loved your Aunt Rosemary Clooney, too, by the way, who was so nice to me when she was singing with my dad. I met her a couple of times and she was just lovely to me. There we go. That was why I brought him up. So you could deliver that. There anecdote. you go. Exactly. There is, there you there's go. a reason for everything on Neil Before Pod. There's a reason for everything. I could feel that there was a hidden intent there. There was. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just that well researched. You had an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> so final question, always end on a lighter note for a nerdy superhero-ish focused podcast. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. I don't know if this counts as a superpower, but if I had the ability to see my loved ones who have passed, that would be the greatest superpower that I could possibly think of. With Father's Day, we've just had it. I miss my dad so much. I would love to see my dad. I would love to see my stepdad, my grandparents, the friends I have that I haven't seen in so long. If I had that kind of a power, I can think of nothing cooler. Other than that, these are probably what everybody says, but either time travel or being invisible. Do you hear those a lot? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're invalid. Why would you have those ones? I mean, the time travel one, it ties into your being able to see family and friends. Yes, being able to see family and friends. Also, I think I would love to be able to go back in time and see signature performances of various singers or various performers when they were at their very, very best and being able to see that live. Also, I'm a huge sports fan. So being able to go back and watch some really classic tennis or anything like that would be really cool for me. The John Wooden years at UCLA, that would be so cool. So for time travel, that would be great. And also to be able to go forward and I don't know, correct a few things that I've done wrong would be good. (laughs) Being invisible is probably what everybody, you know, you just want to see what people are saying behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) And then you don't want to see what they're saying behind your back. Well, no, hopefully you do. (laughs) Hopefully it's wonderful. I wouldn't mind rattling a few chains you know <laughs> one night making someone a little nervous yeah be fun torment people a little jacob marley can go a long <laughs> way <laughs> sure well those are all good answers and ghost whispering is definitely a power if that's what you were meaning by it I mean, excellent yeah, yeah exactly now what, craig i have to ask you though what would yours be because you being the superhero admitted nerd that you are what would you choose I've always wanted super speed because I do a lot of things and I'd like to be able to get my brain working quickly enough to keep up and give myself more free time. So I could write quicker. I could get places quicker. I could just operate quicker. And the reason I wouldn't want to teleport is because I would still want to see places as I run past them, but I would still see them. I would still be traveling. You just want that ability to sort of fast forward. Yeah. But see everything as you're fast forwarding. Yeah. But I'm the only one fast forwarding. Everything else is running at normal pace, then I have more time or it appears that I have more time because I get things done so much quicker. And of course, everything else would have to be at a normal pace. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a superhero thing. It wouldn't be your hidden talent. If everybody was going at that pace, it has to only be you. Interesting. So that would be me. Be able to run fast. That would be you. Think fast. (laughs) I get it. 
Yeah. I get it. <laughs> All those things. So yeah, thanks very much for your time. It's been amazing talking to you about voice acting and the ins and outs of it. It's certainly been eye-opening for me to find out these things. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for giving me the time and thank you for giving Superman and Lois some love. It definitely deserves it. It's a great show. I'm very honored to be just a tiny little part of it. It's really such a pleasure. It's been my pleasure talking to you and good luck with everything in the future. Hopefully you'll get to do your motion capture video game stuff. Hey, I hope so. Hope so. And if not, my Gillian Anderson voice match is always on the back burner. Well, that too. Just everything. (laughs) I hope you manage to achieve everything. Oh, buddy, thanks. Thanks, Craig. Listen, and all the best to you. Thank you for the time and let's keep in touch for sure. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Craig. Take care. That was my chat with Daisy Tormey. I wish her all the best with her future projects. If you like what you heard, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any major podcasting app. Apple users, please leave us a star rating and a comment. If you want to discuss this interview or anything else, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, I hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod.